Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Well, actually... I believe it was big swinging dicks. So there was obviously an overexcited imagination on the part of some, I would suggest. Because if he wants to know what misogyny looks like in modern Australia, he doesn't need a motion in the House of Representatives. He needs a mirror. I love the mansplaining. I'm enjoying it. What's mansplaining, Senator? Welcome back to In the House and In the Senate, where we talk to the women of Australian politics about who they are, what they do, and why it matters. In the House and In the Senate is supported by Plan International Australia, the charity for girls' equality. As a leading humanitarian organisation working in 80 countries, Plan International Australia tackles poverty and supports communities through crisis. Plan work on some of the most important issues of our time, from gender equality, sexual and reproductive health rights, sexual harassment and action on the climate crisis. I'm your host, Alicia Aiken-Radburn. I'm a former federal and state political staffer passionate about making a positive change in our world. Let's get into today's episode. Dr. Anne Ali is the Labor member for Cowan in Western Australia. Dr. Ali is an internationally renowned expert in counter-terrorism and counter-radicalisation. She has published over a hundred articles and books on topics related to terrorism and international security. Dr. Ali has worked with the United Nations on developing programs and policies on national security and counter-terrorism and was the only Australian to be invited to President Obama's White White House Conference on Violent Extremism in 2015. She has received numerous awards for her work, and in 2016, she was awarded the Australian Security Medal. She raised her two sons as a single mother. She's a survivor of domestic abuse, and now she advocates for others as one of the most vivacious, compassionate parliamentarians in federal parliament. And thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me, it's Alicia. It's really meaningful for me to have you here. I just think that you are such a – what I try and do with this podcast a little bit is to inject personality into politics, and I think that you are just a standout of really retaining your own sense of self thank within you. politics. What do you think about that? Do you feel that way? Yeah, I do, actually. I think that – um you know, when I first agreed to run for Cowan, I remember sitting there with my husband and watching, um, and I'd, I'd never been politically active or 
particularly politically interested before that. But, you know, suddenly we were watching, you know, politics and politicians. And I remember seeing one um, politician um, on the television and he'd gone up to someone and to shake their hand and said, you know, I'm so-and-so, are you going to vote for me? And I turned to my husband and I said, oh, my gosh, if I ever turn into that, you need to tell me it's time to leave. So I really, like from the very beginning, made sure that I had support structures around me who would ground me because at the end of it, I, you know, when I leave politics, I'm still Anne yes. and I still need to be Anne um, and I really don't know any other way to be, to be honest. So I think it's really important that um, uh, you, know, you don't let the kind of the political system beat you into being something that you're not. It's a challenge, uh, but I think it, it's 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 vital today, and I think it's really vital to increase that level of public trust in politics that we've seen diminish in Australia, particularly over the last two decades or so. Why do you think it is? Why do you think that politics, I I think that particularly young people Mm. look at politics and they're like, everyone is so boring and restricted and risk averse. Yeah. Why don't you think, because I've worked with politicians Mm. and parliamentarians aren't necessarily boring people. So they're some of the like nicest, you know, this is not across the board. No, not but, all of them. Not all of them. <laughs> but a lot of them do have fabulous personalities. Yeah. And then it feels like that's not really conveyed to the Australian public. Yeah. Why do you think that is? I agree with you. I went to a school the other day and I was addressing like 200 year nine and year 10 students. And the first question I asked them was, put your hand up if you think that our parliament represents you. One hand went up, one hand. And I think that's the thing is I think that, you know, with the 24-hour news cycle and the kind of the the media performance pressure and, you know, the lines that you have to put out there, you you kind of lose that in how you – or you can lose that in how you portray yourself to the media, which is why I think when somebody comes along and they're quite sincere in the media and they're, you know, they're funny and they don't stick to the lines, people find that quite interesting. Totally. Um, It doesn't necessarily do you a lot of (laughs) favours inside the political system. But, um, yeah, I I think if if, if there are – if we have this – cultural change that I think we need to be seeing in politics, I think we need to give ourselves permission as politicians to be more than just a, a, a politician, to be more than just um, you know, a face, mm-hmm. to, to actually share stories, um, give the public a little bit of insight into who we are into our personality, into our private lives even. You don't have to give everything. I certainly haven't given everything, but I've certainly shared my story and my struggles. And I've been just overwhelmed and amazed at how many people have reached out to me, like men in their 60s who I would think have nothing in common with me have reached out and said, you know, I read your book or I listened to you talking about your life story and it meant this and this and this to me. And it's quite um, heartwarming, overwhelming, astounding, and, and actually also a real privilege to know that you can reach out and find a connection with people that you probably thought you never had a connection with. Can you paint us a little 
bit of a picture, Anne, of what your life was before politics. Like, tell us a little bit about that life story that, (laughs) you know, that 60-year-old man has found something within and has reached out to you about. Well, it's – so – my parents came to Australia when I was two from Egypt. My background is Egyptian and I've recently found out that um, I've got Moroccan heritage cool. as well on my mother's side. I know, so cool. And I went to Morocco and everything. It was fabulous. Um, and so it was very typical kind of migrant upbringing in the 70s. Parents went to work. Dad worked in a factory and then later um as a bus driver, mum was a nurse's aide, so they always worked shift work. My brother and my sister and I would come home to an empty house, and you know, that was just the the kind of the latchkey kid migrant story. Mm-hmm. Um, finished high school in Sydney, went back to Egypt, ended up doing my first university degree there, got married, came back to Australia. Um, had two kids, and all of this by the time I was 25. Wow. I know, right? Because at 21, I thought I knew everything. Um, And then uh, found myself um, fleeing a a violent relationship um, and raising my two boys, Adam and Kareem, on my own. Really hard times financially, so I was on welfare. I know what it's like to be on welfare, on a limited income. Uh, went back to uni, studied uh, a postgraduate and then a master's and then went to work as soon as I could and raised my boys basically and then went back at uni again because I'm a glutton for punishment maybe, <laughs> I don't know. Um, did my PhD and then eventually became a, a professor in counterterrorism. So I guess my pathway to politics isn't – I know that a lot of people will tell you, oh, I didn't take the usual pathway to politics. I was a staffer. I was not that, you know. <laughs> I wasn't a staffer. I wasn't a lawyer. I wasn't a member of a union or yeah. a unionist. I was a professor. And 2015 was like the height of my, my, my academic career. And I got asked to run. And I really had no idea what that meant or what that entailed. Um, very much a political outsider. How did that happen? Like, did you have a connection with the party or was it literally like, I remember back in that period as Mm. well, 2015, I feel like from memory you were also... um, your your area of specialty counterterrorism was really hot topic in the media Mm. and I think I remember seeing you on Q&A even before your political days um what was it just a cold call that you got <laughs> it, it, literally I've got to tell you this story because like if you believe in serendipity or yes. fate or whatever you believe in this will make you believe so 2015 February 2015 I'm visiting my dad at the nursing home and I get this phone call from the U.S. Embassy going and um, President Obama is having this conference at the White House and he'd like you to attend and I'm like let me check my dad <laughs> So um, February, I went to the White House um, as the only Australian civil wow. society rep for the Countering Violent Extremism Summit. 
um, for President Obama. And then later that year, yeah, and, and for me, I thought, wow, this is it. You know, I've made it. I'm at the White House. It's snowing. I've never seen snow before. People keep telling me you need to see snow. I'm like, why? It's cold. It's wet. That's all I need to know. I love that that's what you're thinking about. I know, right? Because I nearly died of hypothermia. <laughs> it was that cold. Um, and then later that year in August, I was invited as, again, the only Australian representative at the Club de Madrid Dialogues, which was um, – a forum of, of former world leaders that was started by Kofi Annan and Bill Clinton. And then three weeks later, I had to be at the United Nations in Vienna because I was on wow. the United Nations experts panel and a, as an advisor to them. So I took um, my husband, David, um, husband number three, uh, just in case you didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, well, there it is. And um, and we went to Europe and we started out in Madrid and ended in Vienna. But I went into the club to Madrid thinking, wow, this is amazing. Like here I am with all of these world leaders. I'm finally going to you know see some change yes. happening and have some really substantial discussions. Well, this was a two-day forum and within – hours of the first day, it had descended into these world leaders blaming each other and pointing fingers. And so I, my role was to uh, finish off the, the final um, segment in the conference, um, along with the head of the World Bank and the um, former Prime Minister of Ireland. And I stood up and I said, look, I came here with really high hopes and each and every one of you had the power to change things and you squandered that power. Wow. And and I don't know why, but for some reason they haven't asked me back. <laughs> anyway, um, three weeks later I was in Vienna and doing um, three days of United Nations talks where we had resolved to come up with guidelines for member states about terrorism and the judicial response. Mm -hmm. And I walked out of there that evening and it was a cold November evening in Vienna and Dave was standing on the stairs waiting for me in his coat and you could see his his um, breath, breath in the cold yeah. air. And he looks at me and goes, are you finished? And I said, you know what? babe, I'm actually really finished. And he said, what do you mean? I said, you know, I spend my life traveling the world, attending all of these summits and these dialogues and these processes, but I'm going to go home to Australia and nothing's going to change because there's just no political will. So on the way back from a very cold Europe in November, we stopped off in Bali. Love that. Yeah. Good decision. Very good decision. Because <laughs> Particularly when you're feeling disillusioned with yes. the whole world pol political system. But also, darling, my people, we don't do snow. Yeah, good. So <laughs> we get, get to Bali and I'm literally, literally lying in my bathers by the pool and my phone rings. And you know when your phone rings, it's not a number you recognise mm -hmm. and you're on holiday. I didn't answer it. A few minutes later, I get a text and it says, oh, hi, Anne, this is WA Labor. Can you give us a call? And I'm like, what did they want? And how did they get random. my number? So random. But my son, Adam, yes. who you know, yes. was young Labor. So I rang Adam and I'm like. What's this all about? I'm like, yeah, exactly. I'm like, Adam, I just got this message. What's it all about? And he goes, oh, mum, I don't know. Um, maybe they want you to run in the next election. Do you reckon he, like, had some whispers to, like, everyone knows, like, I'm friends with Adam. Yeah. And everyone, like, talks about, oh, my God, Adam's, like, rock star mum. <laughs> 
I don't know, but like Adam used to always was always at me. And mum joined the Labour Party. Mum joined the. I would go, no, no, no. I'm not joining any political parties. And then one time he said to me, mum, can you come and address Young Labour? And I'm like, why? Why don't you get someone important to do it? You finally talked me into it, and I went and addressed Young Labour. But Adam goes to me, maybe they want you to run in the next election. I'm like, oh, there's an election. When? So came back to Perth, met with um, the Labour Party here and basically asked them that question. I said, why would I do this? Like, why would I leave my career? I've got, you know, an international reputation. I've got ARC grants. Mm -hmm. I've got a research centre, my own research centre. I've got enough research to last me the next 10 years and unpublished research that I have to get out there. Why would I, why would I leave all of that? And the response came back and it was like, um, because it would be a way to make change. Um, And I went away and I thought about it and I spoke to my husband, I spoke to my kids, I spoke to my mum and my family uh, and thought, yeah, okay, let's Let's do do this. this. I'd never watched Question Time before Mm. in my life. (laughs) Probably for the best, you might have not done it. Oh, my goodness. I walked in, like the first Question Mm -hmm. Time, I walked in with paper and pen and I'm like, oh, questions and answer time. (laughs) I'm going to take notes. Literally now, every time Question Time is on, I'm like, what sins do I have to atone for that I have to sit through Question Time every day? I just think that basically we're at the point that everyone points to it being such a toxic element of Mm. parliament. You may as well just get rid of it. It's hard because it's this accountability mechanism, but it's just such a signifier of everything that's wrong in terms of like performance and toxicity and... And it is. It's vaudevillian, you know. It's 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 vaudevillian. It's 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 performance. It's performative. It's really about an opportunity to bash the government. It's mm-hmm. you know that one hour that's broadcast. Well, there's more that's broadcast, but yes. it's broadcast, and I think that plays a big role in it as well, like the 24-hour news cycle mm-hmm. and the broadcasting of Question Time. Um, you know, it's not really question time because I can't stand up yes. out of the blue and ask a question on behalf of my constituents. And there's everything's real pre-prepared. Yeah. And it's all... Yeah, there's a real process behind it. So what have you thought about... Part, you, you got elected. Yeah. Slim margin, hard so campaign. Slim. I was so there. So I know you were there. I remember that. <laughs> yeah. freezing warehouse. <laughs> but you did it. Yeah. You became the federal member for Cowan. Mm. What has it been like? That was back in 2016. What's the experience been like? Do you like it? Uh, I wish I was one of those people who could say, oh, I've loved every minute of it. Um, And I hear people say that and I'm like, how could you love every minute of it? Like, I don't love the death threats. I don't love the the toxicity on social media. I don't love um, the kind of the, the politics of politics. I do love the parliamentary work and the platform that it gives you to actually make that change. I do love the opportunity that I have to meet so many people Mm -hmm. just, and I'm not talking about celebrities or, you know, people on the front pages of magazines. I'm talking about the everyday. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about, you know, the single mum trying to raise five kids on her own who has also fled domestic violence. You know, I'm talking about the people who have started up businesses. I'm talking about people who've migrated to Australia to find a better future for themselves and for their children. I'm talking about, like, the to me, the everyday heroes. 
I'm talking about you know the kids at school who have such amazing dreams yes. and and A aspirations. Idealistic view so of this world, beautiful. which should be really protected because so beautiful, right? I'm uh, and that to me is the real privilege of being a parliamentarian it's not the travel and the the you know the um the hotel rooms and the cars and all of that it's actually that platform that it gives you to be able to share stories with people everyday people um and gain some inspiration from that and hopefully inspire them too so you mentioned sort of like you were sold the idea. I shouldn't say sold because it's, you know, how I felt and it's why I've yeah. gotten involved in politics because I do see parliament as a vehicle to make really systemic change in the lives of a, a really like a great number of people. Yeah. And I have a very – I really – your story resonates with me because my mum's a single mum as well. And I remember I spoke in the first episode of this second season about our own story and mm. how I think a reason why I've become politically engaged is because I felt the impacts as like a 10-year-old mm. on the parent pay parental like supplement from Centrelink mm. going up or down. Mm. And I just can feel the impact, like a 10-year-old feeling the impact of public policy changing. I know. So I understand the gravity of like the decisions that are being made on the hill in Canberra. Uh, You were told this is a place for you to make change. Mm. Do you feel like you've been able to make some change? Um, Oh, it's a vexed question, Alicia, if I'm honest. Like I recently was awarded the McKinnon Prize in as in emerging political leadership, and next week I'm doing um, the McKinnon Oration where we're talking about leadership and change. And yeah, it's a real honour to be recognised as a political leader who has made change. But it's not something that you reflect on daily. You know, yes. you don't you don't sit there and go, what what is leadership? Mm-hmm. Am I a leader? Am I not a leadership? I think in in the Within the political system, there are a lot of challenges to making that change, especially when you are an opposition backbencher in one of the most marginal seats in the universe, the Mm -hmm. universe, people. (laughs) Um, There's a kind of like almost a hierarchy and you are at the bottom of that hierarchy, right? You're told your job is just to keep your seat. And so it even impacts like the level of parliamentary work Mm -hmm. that you can do because it's expected that all your time is spent in your electorate, in your electorate, keeping your seat, right? Not even necessarily on constituent work, on like uh, campaigning, campaigning. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, And, and I find that incredibly frustrating. Um, and for me, it's been an incredible challenge of, okay, well then, um, you know, it, it, there's this kind of this hierarchy where you've got the leadership team and the, the cabinet. So the government has the power and their ministers have the power and then you've got the opposition and there's this hierarchy of power and who gets to make decisions. And you kind of have to navigate that way to achieve the things that you want to achieve. Yes. And you find ways of doing that, whether it's, you know, putting up private members motions and using the political process itself or using your influence and your platform as a member of parliament to raise awareness of issues, to bring about change, um, or using your connections to bring people together 
so that they can pursue the things that that make meaningful change. So like, you know, um, I've, I've been able to to connect people who are working on different aspects in climate change, for example, to work on projects together. Yes. I've been able to connect people who are working on different aspects around victims of terrorism and trauma-informed uh, counterterrorism, bringing them working to, to work together. Um, and, and so there, there are kind of different avenues that you need to use, especially if you're a political outsider, as I am, you haven't come from within that system. I often say, I cannot rewind my life and join Young Labour at 15. Yes. And the truth is, there would have been no place for me in Young Labour when I was 15. Mm-hmm. That's the truth. Um, so it, the challenge is to find the ways to make change in ways that are available to you. And they're not necessarily the conventional ways. How do you go with that tension? And I feel it. I, the reason why I want to bring it up is because I don't think it's it, it's not just found in politics. I feel it all the time in my work life, in my social life. Um, we sort of alluded to it before we actually started recording today. Mm. You've come out recently with a different opinion on Christina Kennelly's the, mm. the whole pre-selection. People will be probably familiar. It was in the media. But Rather than talking about that issue, what's it like when you are part of a collective, you're part of a political party, and this can go to any collective, it could be someone's workplace or it could be someone's social group. I feel like a lot of women particularly really struggle when they have a different opinion, position to the collective and the impact that that has on them and their relationship with the people in that group yeah how do you deal with that because often I'll just have like I'll really feel this like you burning desire to express myself but I know that it will have ramifications Mm. for me yeah and I think that's part of negotiating life really isn't it like in life you choose your battles you choose what you're going to put your efforts into and and um, you know, we're fortunate that we're able to do that. We're fortunate that we have options, I guess. And I think in, in for me in politics, there are a lot of things that you kind of go, okay, I can compromise on mm-hmm. that. Okay, I can live with that. It doesn't may not sit with me 100%, but I can live with it. And then there are some things where I draw a line in the sand and I simply cannot abide. I simply cannot abide hypocrisy. Simply cannot. I have lost lifelong friendships over hypocrisy. It's mm-hmm. my one big bugbear. Um, and so, you know, I made a choice that I would speak up. And w- when I criticise, it's not out of it's, – it's not, you know, malicious yes. and it's not yeah. meant to be malicious. It's because I see that there is a better pathway mm-hmm. and that we can be better, better and that we have to hold ourselves to a standard that we expect of others as politicians, as parliamentarians, as members of a party, as humans, as individuals, as members of any kind of group. You you join a group or you become part of a group or you join a workplace because there is some kind of value alignment mm-hmm. there. Um, and I think it's your responsibility to uh, raise those issues within the group as long as you feel safe to do so. Now, have I done myself any political favours by calling it mm. out? Probably not, but I couldn't look myself in the mirror if I didn't. So you have to decide what you can live with as a human being 
and what you you know what you what risks you 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 are going to take and i think that that's probably something that sometimes within these dynamics and dialogues people don't actually remember is that the person who perhaps is going against the group or really putting themselves out there with a contrary opinion has done the like risk analysis for themselves and they've decided that it's so important to them that they're going to proceed anyway. Exactly. And you have to stay true to your values and who you are. And it's advice that I would give anyone in any in any pathway of life, whether it's politics or in any workplace or you know, in any group that you join, you, you it, it, the saddest thing would be to lose yourself and who you are and, and, and the things that have shaped you into being who you are. Tell me about that parliamentary work because you said you do yeah, love the parliamentary work. What are some of those things that, you know, since coming to Canberra, being in the halls of power that you have really enjoyed and you've been sitting there and being like, wow, I'm fulfilled by this. This is good. Yeah, for me, it's really the work of the committee. So I'm the deputy chair of law enforcement and I've only recently been put onto the Parliamentary Joint Standing Committee on Intelligence and Security, even though it was my uh, field of work for a good decade and a half. It took me four years to get onto that committee. Um, and I fought for it, I will tell you. Um, but I, I really enjoy that kind of that committee work where you can really look in depth at, at issues because so much of politics is the, you know, the, the three-word slogan and the, the three-second yes. grab, right? But what goes on behind the scenes is really, really is this kind of in-depth policy analysis where you can, as, as, as the Deputy Chair of Law Enforcement, for example, I can instigate inquiries. I've instigated inquiries into um, you know, our law enforcement capabilities to deal with cyber-enabled crime. I've instigated wow. one into looking at the threat or risk of fake, fake vaccine passports. passports. Wow. Um and, and, you know, what are we doing about those things? So it's where you're able to go, okay, I see an issue or a problem here and I can actually use the committee process to look into this problem deeper. When I was on the economics committee, I raised, um, you know, if someone in Cowan had any issues with banks or issues like that, I would raise them in inquiries as well. So that's the real part that I enjoy is that that kind of and it's 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 the bipartisan work. Yes. And it's the work that unfortunately doesn't seem to unless uh, and I'm like sometimes it does get coverage maybe through like a 7:30 mm. or a four corners it will be elevated to that level once a lot of like a big piece of work and a really newsworthy piece of work has been done. But there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't really get disseminated through the media and I think people just completely miss that all of this good, mostly bipartisan work is happening in these committees. Mm, exactly, because all they say is the tit-for-tat of politics um, and, and it's because politics is really ruled by the election cycle, isn't it, you know? Once you get elected, you're starting to plan for the next election. Yes, do you feel like um have you made good friends in politics? Yeah, I have. I have. I've made I've made some really good friends who 
they say that there's not many people you can trust. Um, and but but I've made really good friends on both sides, you know, within the Labor Party itself and within the Labor Caucus, but also on the other side um, in in the. Um, LNP government, it's difficult not to, yes. because you you go away on trips with these people, you spend a lot of time with them in committees, you work closely with them in committees, and it's difficult not to. I don't know how people can go in with this kind of tribal mentality of mm. you're the libs and we're Labor and never I'm yes. never going to talk to you or see you as another human being. I think when you take the time and the opportunity to get to know um, people on all sides of the parliamentary um, process and all sides of politics, you find more commonalities than you do differences. And it's really funny because I've got friends who are liberals mm. and and they will be friends that have had very similar lived experience to me. They've had their own trauma, they've had their own struggles, but for some reason, unbeknownst to me, mm. they have chosen, they see something within the Liberal Party that really resonates with their values and how they want the, to change the world, I guess. Um, and, you know, it's, 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 that's the part to me that I'm like, well, okay, interesting choice. But it's, you know, a lot of the time we are all working towards the same end yeah. and our means to get there are different. Exactly, exactly. But, you know, I think that's very true. I think the danger to that or the risk to that is the politics of ideology and where the ideologies are so different and it becomes overwhelmed by the ideological approach, whether it's the ideology ideological approach to climate change or higher yes. education that overtakes that kind of reasoned approach to policy. Yeah. So moving forward, the, the next few years, many years of your political career – what when you think about that, what do you want to achieve mm. through the rest of your parliamentary career, whether that's thirty years or three years? Thirty? Oh my goodness, Alicia! <laughs> I'll be like one foot in the grave. Yeah, I just want a body sit on the couch no. with some wine. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, I, I certainly don't see myself as a long-term career politician. I never have, um, and you know, I, I'll be very honest with you. I regularly question whether I made the right choice in leaving my academic career and entering politics. Um, it's a question that plagues me yeah. um, because it wasn't like I wasn't making change before. I just yes. kind of had to look back to see it. Like my, I had a, I had a not-for-profit, an NGO that was changing lives every day. Am I day. right to say it was called PAVE? Yeah, PAVE, where we worked with young people to kind of harness their um, innovation and ingenuity to find ways of combating violent extremism and giving them positive pathways and positive choices. I still do a lot of that work with young people, actually, um, even though it's not part of my kind of my politician day job, I still do it. It's just hard. You only have so much time in the day, yeah, right? But I always make time for young people. Yes. Always. Like even yesterday I had a young person come and I sat with him for coffee and 
Hayes still trying to figure out where his kind of political values lie. He's probably more liberal than Labor. And I'm like, yeah, I think you are. Mm. You know, I'm not I'm not here to try and convince you to join the Labor Party. I'm here to help you find your way and in a way in a place that you feel safe and where you feel your values align. Um so um, you know, I do kind of question a lot. Um and there are days that are harder than other days, like, you know, when you get death threats and... Yeah. You have been the subject of, you know, I talk a lot about sexism mm. and, you know, the toxic culture for women in Parliament House, but you have experienced pretty awful racism through oh, yeah. your time. Yeah, heaps, yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and you know, I, I find it a little bit, a little bit, frustrating I guess that there's so much focus on sexual harassment but racial harassment is not even considered or looked at Mm -hmm. and it's pretty rife in parliament Mm -hmm. and for me it's not just about the gender side of it it's also about the fact that I'm a woman yeah but I'm also brown and also Muslim it's so intersectional and I can't really separate those things Mm -hmm. and so for me, it's all part of that. Like, I'm so sick and tired of being called exotic. Like what? Like an iguana? <laughs> all go. the time. Right? So, it's you know, it's just those kinds of things. Like, you wouldn't call an Anglo woman exotic, yes, but yeah. I get called exotic. And, you know, people say, oh, look at you in your exotic costume. It's not a costume. It's a dress that I bought from Tiger Lily. <laughs> like, what, people? <laughs> It's Australian made. Like, come on. So it's those kinds of things. And I don't see us really, there's not really a lot of attention to that. Yeah. I always say, you know what, guys? I am not a semicolon and. Mm-hmm. You don't get to go dot, 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 semicolon and, right? That's not me. I, you know, I'm here for a reason. I need to be front and center along with everyone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's 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 a real struggle. Now, in terms of my political career, I certainly will not be there for the next thirty years. <laughs> certainly, let's just not. let's just nip that let's one in the just bud. <laughs> that one off the table now. Um, I never saw myself as having a long term political mm-hmm. career, but there are things that I want to achieve before I leave. I think, really, for me, the stuff around domestic violence as a mm-hmm. survivor myself. Um, and real action on domestic violence. Like it's all really nice for us to light candles in Parliament Mm -hmm. and shed a tear when there's another heinous, unnecessary, senseless murder of a woman um, and um, or her children. Uh, But where is the substantive change? To me, a lot of the stuff that happens in Parliament is is so tokenistic, yeah. so tokenistic, whether it's around domestic violence, whether it's around kind of anti-racism stuff as well. It's so tokenistic that I would like to actually see sub- substantive change in those areas. I also want to deliver some things for the northern suburbs of Perth, um, specifically you know, that 50% of people who live in the northern suburbs of Perth actually work in the southern suburbs. Wow. Yeah, so I'd like I want to have I want to build more livable communities. Yes. And a livable community to me is where people feel have a sense of belonging, mm-hmm. where they can work, play and live. And I mean, you know, Alicia, when we go out and we door knock or we're on the phones, we ask people these very kind of superficial questions yes. about 
I want to know what you care about. Is it education or jobs or this? And you know, I think that speaks to like going back to just what you said about you know, tokenism and practical change. I feel like my frustration looking at politics so much is that we just seem to, like, talk around this point where it's like, no, just have the actual conversation that you want to have without all this, like, cream on top. Absolutely. What is the issue? What can we... So what do you do on your calls? So what I do, (laughs) what I've actually found is because people won't, People go, oh, yeah, I guess I care about jobs. Oh, yeah, I guess I care about education. But I'll tell you what people really care about, Mm -hmm. security. And I'm not talking about national security. I'm talking about security in every sense of the word. And security for me, and I've actually written an, um, a book chapter about reconceptualizing security. Um, it's it's about individual security, that sense of well-being that you have. When people say I care about jobs, what they're actually saying is they care about their job security, the security that they have in knowing that they can go to work, pay the bills, put food on the table. When they say they care about education, what they're actually saying is they care about the security in knowing that their kids have access Mm -hmm. to good education and that their kids can pursue their dreams. When they say they care about health, what they're actually saying is they care about the security of knowing that if something befalls them, there is a health system there that they will be looked after and not be out of pocket. That's what people care about, security. You have, like, changed. You've answered a question that has been floating in my head ever since I started becoming engaged in politics because I thought it was so – I've always thought it was bizarre that we use these, like, quite amorphous terms in my mind to be like, what are your priorities, jobs? Exactly. Like, I don't – it's just, like, not how people talk to each other or think or – It's not how people think. And when when people want security, it's not just the security of jobs and education and health. And it's not in terms of, like, I want to be able to leave my home and the door unlocked. It's the security of knowing you belong, Mm -hmm. of having a community that you belong to, of having that sense of kind of um, wellness – and well-being. And then there's, of course, the level of national security and then there's the level of international security. But if we were to look at policy and the way that we develop policy in terms of individual security, community security and well-being, national security and international security and kind of look at it like that, I think we would be able to have more... um, rich Mm -hmm. and substantial conversations with people, but we'd also be able to develop policy that actually speaks to those things that people care about. Do you think that you will go back to your research? Yes, 100%. 100% I will go back to doing what I was doing. I've still got like uh, like 150,000 words of unpublished research that needs to get published on terrorist profiling. (laughs) I know. Like, it's something that I think about every night. Oh, I've got to write that book about terrorist profiling. (laughs) And I think that, like, I I think, you know, it it troubles me a little bit that you reflect and you're like, you you feel quite a lot of pain's the wrong word, but Mm. like, you're sort of got this feeling of, oh, should I have done this? Should Mm. I have gone down this path? Mm. Because I think you're a demonstration of the fact that through life, like, life is a winding path. Mm. And, I think that we will all 
we probably all sometimes question why did we go in this direction, but I do really, like, without getting too spiritual, like, I do think that things happen for a reason. Mm, I and agree. I think that your personality and what you can do, you know, in the future, your future parliamentary career will leave a really important legacy on the cultural element, if anything, like of just being able to have a conversation like this that is refreshing and not like these, not these evasive, like actually answering questions. I hope so. Like I often say I am the worst liar (laughs) on earth. Like I really, I can't hide anything. Like, my face shows everything. I couldn't do this thing that you see people do. I can't do that. Listen to someone, ask them a question, and then be like, and, you know, we hear about it a lot. It's Mm -hmm. like you get the answer, you get the question. It's in media training and stuff like that. And then pivot to what you actually exactly. want to say. I'm like, no, I, I can't pivot. I'm the worst pivoter. I'm like Zoolander who can't turn left. <laughs> so good. I think that's what makes you so special. And for the the question we always end our interviews with mm. is young women, particularly who are, have listened to this conversation and are feeling inspired, and they think that they've been interested in politics. What's your advice for young women who mm. who are viewing parliament and politics as a way to make change? I would say to them, um, talk to someone. Like mm-hmm. because I wish that I had talked to someone and I wish that that there was me to tell me yes. what to expect. So I would say talk to someone about what to expect. Do something else first, like live your life mm-hmm. first. Politics is not going away. Mm-hmm. It was. It will always be there for you as an option. Um, and if you do decide to go into politics, never forget who you are or where you came from. I think those are perfect words to leave us with, Anne. Thank you so much for joining in the House and in the Senate. Thanks, Alicia. In the House and in the Senate is recorded on the land of the Wadjuk people. This land was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. If you enjoyed this episode of In the House and in the Senate, please jump into your podcast app, subscribe and give me a quick rating and review. This will help the podcast reach more people and I will personally be incredibly grateful. Also be sure to head over to the podcast Instagram at In the House in the Senate, where I'll be sharing content from our guests, throwbacks to my time in staffing and resources to help you get more involved in the political system. You can also follow my personal account at alicia.aikenradburn. Thanks for listening and speak to you next week. Bye-bye. Goodbye to Luke. <laughs> next question. <laughs> See ya. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. AdWanted UK is the provider of single-source media data for agencies, media owners, brands and academic institutions.
And thanks to our rebranded news offering called The Media Leader, we can also lead the way in championing excellence and inclusion in the media industry. To find out more, simply visit the-media-leader.com to subscribe to our daily bulletins. The Media Leader from AdWanted UK.